This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for July 10th, 2011. The Gospel is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9 and 18 through 23. The message is by Father Eric Coons. Everybody likes a good story. Public speakers, like teachers and preachers, know that nothing captures an audience's wandering attention more effectively than the six magic words, let me tell you a story. Jesus told lots of stories. The Gospel writers call them parables, but that word just means a short story out of everyday life designed to teach a spiritual truth. Jesus was a master teacher, an engaging lecturer, a lively conversationalist. He preached eloquent sermons, his rhetorical questions were gems. His verbal debates were masterpieces of wit and logic. And yet the teaching technique he used most often was telling those homely, earthy, sometimes embarrassing little stories called parables. Years ago, I heard a Christian folk singer whose name I have long since forgotten singing a song he had written about the parables. And it's so deeply etched on my brain that I can never think about any of those stories without hearing that song in the background. I won't try to sing it, but I do want to quote the lyrics. So just think of the words I'm about to read set to a tune by Simon and Garfunkel or Peter, Paul and Mary. And if you're under 40, after the service, take out your smartphone and Google those groups. <laughs> to find out what you're missing. <laughs> Storyteller. Yes, he was the storytelling kind. He painted pictures in their mind. It was the way he let them see how things were really supposed to be. He told a parable about a mustard seed and how it grows so very tall, but when it starts out, that tiny mustard seed is very small. He told a parable about some seeds of wheat and how they spring to life within the soil, but if they're sown on rocks or on the barren land, that seed will spoil. He told a parable about the shepherd man, and when he found his lamb, he was so glad. He told a parable about the prodigal who left his dad. He used the wine, he used the bread, he used the fish, he used the sea. He used the pearls and kings and birds and rings to help him tell his stories. He told a parable about a friendly man, the good Samaritan, who really cared. He told a parable about a wealthy man who never shared. He told a parable about a Pharisee who prayed he'd never be like other men. He told the parables to keep the people away from sin. Storyteller, yes, he was the storytelling kind. He painted pictures in their minds. It was the way he let them see how things were really supposed to be. The 13th chapter of Matthew, from which today's gospel lesson is taken, is a sermon by Jesus composed of almost nothing but parables. And they all have to do with the subject, which was the theme of the majority of Jesus' parables, the kingdom of God. Today's gospel lesson flows so smoothly that unless you paid careful attention to the verse numbers on the slide or in the bulletin, you wouldn't realize that it's actually made up of two separate sections from Matthew 13, the parable itself in verses 1 to 9, and Jesus' interpretation of the parable which picks up with verse 18. Now there's a lot of important stuff in those eight verses which the compilers of the lectionary chose to omit from today's reading. Jesus' disciples were, as you can imagine, intrigued, if not perplexed, by the fact that he so often taught about the kingdom by means of parables. So, in Matthew 13, 10, they asked him why. 
His answer is so profound and astounding, it deserves a sermon of its own. But part of the reason has to do with something that Jesus called in Matthew 13, 11, the secrets of the kingdom. I wonder what that could mean. Well, the word translated secret, or in some versions, mystery, has nothing to do with anything sinister or peculiar or weird. The word means something that has previously been hidden, but now has been revealed. Given that definition, what could the mystery or the secret of the kingdom be? Well, it was certainly not the idea of a, king, a kingdom coming. All first century Jews who knew their scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, knew that God had promised to bring a heavenly kingdom to earth, and they were looking forward to it. As they understood it, in this coming kingdom, God would rule over all of creation, his enemies would be defeated, and his people, the citizens of the kingdom, would experience great blessing and happiness. So the Jewish religious community of Jesus' day thought they had a handle on the coming kingdom. They were quite sure when at last it arrived, they would certainly recognize it, not least of all because it would be led by, well, a king. And Jesus said, in effect, you're right. The coming kingdom will have a king, and you're looking at him. And the Jewish religious leaders didn't know whether to laugh or cry. They knew what a king looked like, and a Galilean carpenter's son with a following of fishermen, tax collectors, and other ragamuffins was surely not it. So, if the secret or the mystery of the kingdom of God did not refer to the idea of a kingdom, and if Jesus was telling the truth about being the king, and we believe he was, then maybe the mystery of the kingdom had and has something to do with the form the kingdom would take in the world. Could that be? something about the kingdom that was previously hidden but is now revealed. Well, as Professor Henry Higgins might say, by Jove, he's got it. I think he's got it. The mystery of the kingdom, which Jesus communicated mainly through parables, has to do with the form the kingdom will take. After all, it's clear that the kingdom of God, as Jesus introduced it, was not accompanied by pomp and pageantry. Nobody played God Save the King when he entered a room. Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, you may recall, didn't feel threatened at all when the Jewish religious establishment accused Jesus of claiming to be a king. Not even his own disciples knew exactly what he meant when Jesus used king and kingdom language. They wanted to believe him when he told them he was the promised king, but he made it so difficult. One day he would talk about establishing the kingdom of God. The next day he would talk about going to Jerusalem where he expected to be put to death. They were confused and frustrated. They just wanted to sit him down and ask him in no uncertain terms, which is it, Jesus? Did you come to set up a kingdom or did you come to die on a cross? And if they had done that, you know what his answer would have been? Yes. And that is the mystery of the kingdom, or at least part of it. Jesus bar Joseph, the itinerant rabbi from Galilee, the son, so everyone thought, of the carpenter from Nazareth, claimed to be the Son of God and the King which the Old Testament prophecies predicted. He had no political power, no royal retinue, so why did his claim to be Messiah make the religious leaders so angry? Because they knew that the Jewish people were so worn down and worn out by centuries of economic and political oppression that they were ready to put royal robes on a date palm and make it their king if it made the right noises. And Jesus was far more than a date palm. He may have come from hum humble roots, 
but he spoke with authority, he looked at people with compassion, and he had done some amazing, miraculous things. The longer Jesus' disciples lived with him and followed him around, the more they were willing to consider the possibility that he might just be who he claimed to be. Oh, sure, he made those unsettling comments from time to time about going to Jerusalem to be crucified. They'd have to sort that out sometime. And then instead of just coming right out and telling everybody what it would mean for him to be king and for them to be his subjects, he just sort of hinted at it all by doing most of his teaching in the form of those little stories or parables. In fact, one day he was sitting on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and the crowd of people gathered around him in such a multitude that he had to get in a boat and go out from the shore in order to teach them. And on that occasion, like so many times before, the first thing out of his mouth was a parable. This one was about a guy sowing seed. A bit rambunctious and indiscriminate, it would seem, the seed went flying everywhere. For that reason, a lot of it fell in places where it could not germinate, take root, and grow. But some of it did grow, and the seed that grew produced a crop, but with varying degrees of fruitfulness. Jesus' disciples scratched their heads and looked at each other in hopes that one of them might show some evidence that he had at least an inkling of what Jesus was talking about. Finally, one of them blurted out, Lord, why parables? Why not just say what you mean? And Jesus said, okay, here's the deal. I've been talking to you about the kingdom, right? I've been telling you that I'm the king, right? And you're just beginning to understand and believe, right? And that's good because everything I'm telling you is true. But I've also been telling you that I'm going to Jerusalem to be crucified, right? And you're having trouble putting those two ideas together, right? Well, that's not surprising since it is a complicated relationship. Now, by the time we get to Jerusalem, or at least soon after, you'll be able to make sense of it all. In the meantime, I want you to learn as much as you can about life in the kingdom because you're going to have to spread the message of the kingdom after I'm gone. So, I have to teach you about the kingdom. But if I do it in plain, straightforward terms, if I come right out and say that I am a king with authority greater than Pilate or even Caesar, you may understand what I mean, but most of them won't. Some of them will want to make me a king like Caesar. Others will feel threatened and want to kill me before my time. That's why I speak in parables so much. You have spiritual ears. You'll get the message. And as for the rest of them, well, everybody likes a good story. Oh, by the way, here's a secret about the kingdom. It's already here. It came when I came. Now I have to go away for a while. I'm going back to heaven, back to the presence of my Father, but I'll be back. And when I come back, that's when you'll see the pomp and pageantry. That's when everybody will have to acknowledge that I am indeed the king. In the meantime, I'm going to ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit to be among you and even live in you while I'm gone. He'll teach you everything you need to know about the kingdom. He'll cause you to remember everything that I taught you about the kingdom. Because you see, the kingdom is here already. And it doesn't cease to exist just because the king goes away for a while. It doesn't die just because the king has to die. Because, you see, the king is going to rise from the dead. And because of that resurrection, the kingdom is going to survive and thrive even in the king's absence. And it will be your job to tell people about this kingdom. You'll have to explain to them that the king came to set up the kingdom, and then he had to die in order to make it possible for them to enter the kingdom. 
Then you'll tell them about that resurrection and about my ascending back into heaven and about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then you'll have to tell them about the secret or the mystery of the kingdom, namely that the kingdom is here now and that the authority of the king is just as real as if he were here in person, but that a day will come when the king will return to earth and the kingdom will be here in all its glorious fullness. Oh, I should mention, not everybody will understand even though this message is phenomenally good news, the greatest news the world has ever, ever known, not everybody will believe. In fact, your preaching will be like that guy sowing the seed in the parable. Think of the message about the kingdom as seed. And think of the people who hear the message as the soil on which the, king, the seed falls. Some of them will be like rocky soil. Some like soil covered with weeds and thorns. Some like the footpaths that people walk on all the time. The seed is never going to take root in places like that, and sadly, some people are never going to accept the message of the kingdom. But some will, and in them, that message will germinate and grow and produce fruit just like seed in fertile soil. So don't lose heart. Keep preaching, keep serving, keep loving, keep sowing the seed. Some of it will take root and grow, and that will make it all worthwhile. Now, I admit to you that Jesus didn't say all of that in response to the disciples' question about the parables in Matthew 13. He did say a lot of it there, but I supplemented his answer with some things he said elsewhere in the Gospels, like John 14, the Upper Room Discourse, and especially in another parable in Luke 19. And that's where I want to go just before I close this morning. The parable in Luke 19, 11 to 27, is the last one Jesus told before he entered Jerusalem at the beginning of Passion Week on what we now call Palm Sunday. Luke tells us in verse 11 why Jesus felt the need to tell his disciples one more parable on this particular occasion. I quote, He went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they, his disciples, supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Read, in all of its glorious fullness. Jesus knew that even after three years of intense training, his disciples were still having trouble grasping the mystery, the already but not yet quality of the kingdom. He also knew that before the week which was just dawning would end, these disciples would see him humiliated, beaten, and nailed to a cross. Their comprehension of kingdom truth was so fragile, so tenuous, that what lay ahead might be enough to discourage and disillusion them so deeply that they would never recover. To counter that possibility, he told them one last story, a story of hope and encouragement to see them through the dark days ahead. He told them a story about a nobleman who needed to go away to a far country for a while. Before he left, he called ten of his servants to come to him, told them of his plans to go away, promised them that he would return, and gave them some money to invest in his absence. Take this money, he told them, and do business with it till I return. Then he went away, but he did come back as he had promised. And upon his return, he called his servants to give an account of how much their investments had earned while he was away. Some of his servants had taken the money, used it wisely, invested it prudently, and they were able to report a return, the fruit of their labors. The nobleman commended them for their faithfulness in carrying out his wishes in the way they used the resources that he had provided. 
Some had not invested the money, however, and needless to say, with them, the nobleman was not pleased, and he let them know it in no uncertain terms. Now, Jesus didn't interpret this parable for his disciples the way he did the one he told in Matthew 13 about the sower. Perhaps he believed that the point of the parable in Luke 19 was simply too obvious to miss. Here's what I think that parable means and how I think it links with the parable of the sower. Jesus the king has gone away for a while, but he will return. In his absence, he's left all of us, the members of his church, the citizens of his kingdom, with all the resources we need to carry out his purposes until he comes back. Whatever we need, human resources, spiritual gifts, money, stamina, wisdom, whatever it is, he's already put it at our disposal. All he asks of us is that we be faithful in using it in investing it for the kingdom. Now, even if we are faithful, we may not be equally successful. Not all of our efforts will result in a bounteous return on investment. That's not our concern. He doesn't require us to be successful, only faithful. He's given us everything we need. All he asks is that we use it wisely in the interest of the kingdom to bring glory to the king. Storyteller? Yes, he is the storytelling kind. He paints pictures in our minds. It's the way he lets us see how things are really supposed to be. Amen. You've just been listening to Come and See. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrews is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to come and see.